90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Well, great. Now that uh, the power's back on in my house and I was able to join you for recording the show this week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're getting ready to do some travel, so we're trying to do a little bit of pre-recording here and the weather is not cooperating. (laughs) I'd say not. Um, We've had so much rain in Oklahoma. I know I talked about it in Colorado, but Oklahoma as well. Um, I'm sure you've experienced the same thing in Arkansas. And I went and got my stuff set up and I went to sit down and power went out. So uh, we're good for now. Let's hope it stays that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we will. I've, the thunderstorms that have been coming through, I've been uh, stuck in my car in an absolute downpour for about 20 minutes a couple times this week. But you can, uh, you can track those downpours with your new dork device, can't you? (laughs) Yes, I can uh, track the downpours on my Apple Watch. (laughs) You know, I have to give you a hard time for this because I know how much you love everything Steve Jobs so (laughs) yes it's true and you know I didn't know what the Apple Watch would be like but as we talked about before I couldn't resist ordering it finally obviously finally Uh, I mean (laughs) I I held out for a good month past the release date (laughs) I know that had to be a painful month for you (laughs) yeah but so far i really enjoy it i it's nice you get a tap on your wrist and it says rain starting in 20 minutes or (laughs) you can pull up the radar on your wrist and take a quick look at it it's it's pretty neat so do all the apps that are available with your iphone translate to the apple watch then please extol if they have (laughs) (laughs) if they have an apple watch companion app which was a surprising number oh really they do Yeah, yeah, I was really surprised. In fact, a lot of them I turned off. For example, I do not want the Walmart app on my watch. (laughs) But Walmart wants the Walmart app on your watch, so. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) But no, the, uh, it's, one of the nicest things about it is it just taps you on the wrist for notifications, and it's a very light tap, but noticeable, and you can turn off a lot. So I don't have email notifications turned on, that kind of thing. I just have text messages and a few other apps that I want to know, like if it's going to rain in the next hour. And you get a tap, you look at your wrist, you and can just say dismiss or reply and dictate a reply to a text message. And then it's all good again. Wow. Um, well, that's kind of cool. And I bet it makes you feel like a secret agent walking around talking into your wrist, right? <laughs> it does, especially when you can... Have you tried asking Siri about zero divided by zero? That's been the the fun thing to do this week. (laughs) No, but um, I'm going to do that as soon as we get off of this recording. (laughs) Well, here, let's give it a try. I will apologize. I'm not going to use the words, hey, followed by the name of the digital assistant, because that does activate it on people's phones that are plugged in. I know some people say Ahoy Telephone on podcasts and that kind of thing, but I'll just activate Siri manually here. What is zero divided by zero? Imagine that you have zero cookies and you split them evenly among zero friends. How many cookies does each person get? See, it doesn't make sense. And Cookie Monster is sad that there are no cookies. And you are sad that you have no friends. (laughs) See, Siri understands people that love Apple products. (laughs) She's sorry you have no friends. 
<laughs> that's, so, that's of course, that's amazing. the first thing you should do if you do get an Apple Watch uh, is ask Siri that question. That's amazing. Um, I always forget the corresponding Android series name. I know it's, it's from some great... Oh, Cortana. Yes. I knew it was some great sci-fi reference. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm sure that I will have more to say as I get to use the watch more. I'm going to be using it on a couple of trips coming up for walking directions, which is one thing I was really excited about. Ooh, okay. Um, yeah, because it can get uh, confusing. You're going down to Austin for your nerd conference, right? <laughs> right. I'll have been in Austin, actually, when this airs, since <laughs> oh, we're recording a little bit early. That's true. <laughs> and, <laughs> and yes, yeah, so I'll see how that works there. And it's... It's pretty exciting to me to be able to find a lot of information very quickly by using this little device on your wrist. Uh, yeah, I, I'm eager to see. Well, I know you're going to love it because it's, <laughs> it's an Apple product. I'm eager to see if other people have any um, feedback on their Apple Watches that they've gotten. I haven't seen a lot of them around, but I live in the Midwest. So, I haven't, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't either. I've seen a couple around State College, but I haven't seen any others down here in the Arkansas area yet. <laughs> so we'll see. I think this programming conference, I have a pretty good chance of having a high Apple Watch density. Oh, I believe that's absolutely true. I wonder if it'll just link you guys all like psychically together or something like that accidentally, since there are so many Apple Watches in one vicinity. So you let me know how that goes. <laughs> well, you know, you, you can tap other people that have oh, an Apple no. Watch. You can select them in your contacts and actually tap on their wrist. It's kind of oh, uh, an so like it's feature. an actual physical manifestation of poking, huh? Yes. <laughs> uh, that's super creepy. Um, <laughs> never mind. I'm gonna take that off my wish list now. Oh, who am I kidding? It wasn't on my wish list. <laughs> yes, yes. You would you would have trouble. You don't respond to text messages anymore, anyway, Shannon. <laughs> so true because i'm outside looking at actual rocks <laughs> <laughs> well using the apple watch and actually just working on a bunch of different projects right now kind of got me thinking about trying to find information on the internet and it's a little bit like drinking from a fire hose <laughs> uh that's certainly true as um we found out trying to do research for the show on numerous occasions <laughs> so how can we make it better well, I am here with the top 10 woohoo, Google <laughs> search tips, and these are accumulated from a few different articles and things that I've learned doing a lot of Google research over the years, and they what helps me narrow down the results, though not always to exactly what I want. Hmm. Okay. I guess I've just always opened Google and typed stuff in, but... I'm guessing I'm going to learn better ways to manage that after this show, right? <laughs> Hopefully. And some of these, for example, let's just jump right into the first one, which is use the tabs. And I think a lot of people do this, but I've been surprised at the number of people I've seen that don't. And what I'm talking about is when you type in a Google search term and search it, at the top you'll see tabs such as web, shopping, images, video, books, right. and more. Mm -hmm. So I use web and images quite a bit. Yes, you should definitely go through the, for example, the more, the maps or the news, the news one, especially if you're looking for, say, I'm looking for recent earthquake articles. Oh. I can search earthquake just in news articles. Mm. Okay. 
Or you can search for your term in different books that are indexed by Google, which is an incredible volume of books, oh, let me tell you. Oh, wow. I've never used that at all. That's kind of cool. Hmm. Yeah, so use the tabs, and the next tip that goes right along with that is use Google Books. <laughs> uh, I it's was... accessible from the tabs, <laughs> and it's it's an incredible resource. Not all of all the books are scanned, obviously, but there's significant sections of a surprising number of books in there, and most of the time it can point you to a little hunk of text in a paragraph in a book, and you can tell whether that would be useful to go try to find from your library at your university or not. Wow, I just see this as making my Amazon wish list increase by tenfold now. <laughs> <laughs> so I just I just did this. I just searched recent earthquakes and got this cool new book about earthquake prediction and seismic electrical signals. And you're right, there's quite a bit of this of the book actually here to view. Yeah, it's a little bit better than the previews that you get from Amazon when you're going to buy a book, I found. It, you can get a better idea of whether it's something that you'll find useful or not. Oh, right, because this is like a hundred-something page book, and there's 25 of the pages are available. So this certainly lets you know whether it's useful more than just the intro and the 12 pages of copyright information. <laughs> yes, and it's worth Googling with the tips that we're going to talk about the way that they scan books. It's incredible. They have this flatbed scanner that will scan two pages at once, and the pages are turned with a vacuum. Uh, yes. I remember when they started sort of trying to index all these books. I looked that up, and it's unreal. It makes me super jealous as opposed to just standing in front of the copier and doing one page at a time. <laughs> yeah, it'd be pretty nice to be able to put a book on this machine and then just... Yeah, go just, have lunch just let it go. and have the PDF when you get back. Oh, yeah, that would be wonderful. Um, yeah, well, that's places like Google can do those kind of things. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. So the next tip, how many times have you been searching for something and all of the top results have something to do with that, but they're not what you're looking for? For example, you're looking for information about Mustang horses and you only get cars. <laughs> yes. Yes, all the time. Well, you can get rid of certain words by putting your search term a minus sign and then the words that you want to exclude from your search results. Oh. Or for a more geological example, if you wanted to learn about earthquakes but not, you said earthquake prediction, let's say not earthquake prediction, you wanted just the facts, you could type earthquakes minus prediction. <laughs> yeah, because everyone knows that earthquake prediction is crap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's a lot written about it. Uh, this is super cool. Yeah, so my Mustang horses minus cars search. Like the first five pages are where I can go see Mustangs or buy Mustangs or, you know, see them running around in pictures and there's no car stuff at all. Uh, that's awesome. I always thought like these little pluses and minuses and stuff had to have like a very specific order that you wrote them in much like programming or something like that. And so I never really thought you could just, you know, do something as simple as that. But it seems to be working really good. Yeah. No, they can have any order. And you mentioned the plus symbol, which isn't on the list. But I will tell you that if you use the plus symbol in Google, it searches Google Plus pages. Oh. <laughs> okay. So that wouldn't be so, very useful then. <laughs> it's not incredibly useful. I have had very little luck with Google Plus pages, honestly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I remember being invited to Google Plus, you know, as a beta thing and getting super excited, but nah. (laughs) (laughs) And I will put a link in the show notes to the official Google list of characters that you Ah, can use and what they all do. That was my next question was, I'm sure there's more than just minuses that we can use. Oh, yes. You can search for trending trending things on social media with our favorite symbol, the Octothorpe. (laughs) Yep. Or you can use the at symbol for Twitter handles, all of that, all in the Google search engine. Oh, awesome. Okay, great. So that one's handy. The next one that I had, this one really helps narrowing when you you type in several words as your search string, and you get a flood of results that (laughs) have all of those words, but not together. together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, those are bad. It sounds like you might have used this trick before. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know about the trick. I know about the frustration in <laughs> doing that exact thing. Well, if you put the words that you want to search together in quotes, Google will only return search results where those words occur in that order uh-huh. and together. Nice. I did know that. This is a really handy trick, and the example on the Google page for this was searching imagine all the people and if you're familiar (laughs) with this you'll know that's song lyrics exactly but if you just search it without quotes around it you'll get results for imagine you'll get results (laughs) for people you'll get all these unrelated things but if you put quotes around it it forces it to find that and you just get lots and lots of lyric pages and guitar tabs Uh, yes (laughs) tons and tons (laughs) um yeah, I have done that actually for a couple. I guess I haven't used it for really long phrases. I don't know why I wouldn't, but uh, so that one sort of familiar with. Yes, that's good. And you don't have to put your entire search string in quotes as well. You can have part of it in quotes and part of it out of the quotes. So you can look for these words all grouped together and these other words, but not necessarily in any necessarily order relation to the ones in the quotes. It's really disturbing. So you can get how far really complicated strings uh yeah exactly that's what I was just it's really disturbing how far these uh yeah how smart google is well the quotes trick has been around for a long time as well as using some more boolean type logic mm-hmm. where you can say search for this phrase or capital o capital r mm-hmm. this phrase and you'll get either or, or and, and it shows you only search results that have both of the phrases included. So you can use that Boolean type logic as well. Right, which I think most people are familiar with if they've ever tried to negotiate a university library website. So, Yeah, and most of the time, search engines have a built-in, they, they always call it advanced search. Right. But it's really just a Boolean query builder that helps you if you don't want to remember all of the different ways to insert it into your particular search engine of choice because as you said every single university (laughs) library has one and they're all just enough different that you can't use them interchangeably yeah exactly that's true okay all right what's next all right moving right along the next one i'm sure you've used and i think a lot of people do google scholar (gasps) yeah (laughs) and oh Google Scholar, when you're in a university setting, is just amazing since it's going through your university's proxy. It just makes everything available to you on the side. If it's available to your university, you don't even have to go through that. You just sit there in Google Scholar, and it says, link this, and there's the, there's the article. Yes, and there's a trick 
most universities will have this set up if you get a hold of the right person at the library IT help desk. They can tell you what to do. But for example, my university has a snippet that you can add. Say you, you know, you're off campus and you don't have that proxy because you're not on the university's network. Mm-hmm. There is a little snippet that you can add to the URL that will redirect all traffic through your library proxy when you're off site. Yes, and a lot of universities will have that. It's a very handy thing to ask your librarian about. And then just put it in a little text expander snippet or save it on your clipboard or in a little note somewhere. So you can just easily copy and paste that in. If you get a link to a Nature article from Google Scholar and it says, oh, you need to pay for this, go up to the top, add this snippet, hit return, the page refreshes, ask you to log in, and then there's the content. Ah. Yes, um that magical thing I was not aware of. So uh, I will be doing that, writing it down right now (laughs) in my field notes notebook um, to ask my librarian about that. And Google Scholar, really, it has a lot of the university search engines don't do quite as well with indexing the papers, it seems to me, especially on keywords as Google Scholar does. I agree. If I'm looking for something really specific, it seems, you know, it's pretty good but I mean just looking for the fun paper for this week actually I tried to go through the university system and it was super cranky because I had you know some dangling ampersand or something that it was not happy about and then I just like (laughs) plugged it into Google Scholar and it was right there it was great well and this can actually lead right to the next tip of whether you're searching in Google or Google Scholar a lot of times you know what kind of file you're looking for. Sometimes it's a web page, but sometimes you say, I want a PDF of this paper. Right. Or I want an audio file for this search string. You can actually type your search string and then type file type colon PDF, for example. Whoa. And then it will only return searches that are of that appropriate file type. Really? Okay. So if I'm looking up an article... I want to try this now because this is what annoys me about Google Scholar is that you get so many books come back, return to me. So, all right, what do I need to type again? So, for example, type earthquake space file type. The word file type. And then all one word, file type, colon, PDF, and then press enter. And you'll see only PDF documents that have the word earthquake in them. That is brilliant. (laughs) Yes, yes, that is none of these books. Well, there is one book, but it's obviously a PDF of a book. Um, Right. That is awesome. Okay, so this would work for a book or anything else I wanted to do. Um, Yeah, and a lot of times if you just search, say you're out of the university system and you want to find an article – there are a lot of times our article gets online somehow, be it through an author's website or research gate or something. And if you type the article name into Google with this file type PDF, if it's out there, it will find it. That is fantastic. Um, okay, that's a good one. Okay, so I've already picked up several search tips, as you intimated, <laughs> <laughs> that I will be employing in the very near future. <laughs> What's next? So these, the last four... And I couldn't quite get it to be a 5-5 split. Uh. But the last four are more not tricks that you'll use in Google, but mind tricks or (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> let's see. I heard someone on another podcast say thought technologies, which was a fun word. Thought technologies. So. <laughs> uh, this looks like it's getting dangerously close to metacognition. Right. <laughs> and the first one, the simplest one, is just if if you're frustrated because you're not getting what you want, broaden the scope of your search by just removing a bunch of words to start with. Go for the broadest search you possibly can, and you might find out that you're using the incorrect terminology to get your specific search. Ooh, okay. This is something that happens to me a lot of I'm looking for a part, for example, to replace something in the lab, and I don't know what it's called. So I type in what I think it's called, and I get almost no results because that's not what it's called. <laughs> so it's a problem of how do I search for it when I don't know what it is. So you have to go to these really broad terms and then start narrowing down from there. Okay. There was a, a great example on the Still Untitled podcast that Adam Savage mm-hmm. hosts with a few other folks where he was looking for a specific glass jar, specific style for a prop that he was building. And he said he spent hours and hours trying to find it. And then he magically found this chart that showed all different types of glass jars. And he found out he didn't know the name of the jar he was looking for. Once he knew the name, he was able to type it in and instantly was able to buy as many as he wanted. (laughs) Okay. All right. So broadening out, taking a couple steps back, a lot of times can help you or lead you down the right path in your googling (laughs) yes so i imagine this working for me as in different actors that i think i know who they are that are in movies (laughs) and so my search is too specific when i'm trying to find stuff out and then i can just broaden that out to something different and find them specifically (laughs) that's what i use google a lot for john let's not kid ourselves (laughs) (laughs) right um yeah, I mean, that makes sense because, yeah, you do get stuck. Obviously, if you just want to search rocks, that is too broad. But, you know, there's some weird structural terms out there that you may not always get right. Boudinage was always one that I never could remember. <laughs> yeah, or specific uh, features. I know, for example, the hunt and anticline, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's referred to as by a different name earlier, later in the literature. Ooh. I don't think that it no. is, for example. But you can use that uh, ice streams in Antarctica. They were A, B, C, D, and so on. Now they have names right. like Willens ice stream. So instead of ice stream B. So you can do that to kind of zoom back and maybe find what you should be searching under for older or newer information. That's sort of a good thought experiment for all of science in general is not to get, you know, don't lose the forest for the trees, basically. Yes. And you did mention actors. This is definitely not on the list because it's not something you commonly research. But if you type any actor's name and then bacon number into Google, it will tell you the bacon number of that actor and show you the string. And here I thought I was nerding out talking about that. That is amazing. I'm super <laughs> excited about that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's what I'm going to Google from now on. <laughs> All right, we've got (laughs) three more to get through here before we get to fun paper. And one of them is think like the person writing the article, which this one took me a little while to comprehend, really. But then I've been trying it, and it actually works really well. If you know that you want an article about something, think of phrases that you would use if you were writing that article. All right, so for example, if you're looking for a 
very specific phrase in an article or an article on a very specific event, you just think of a phrase that might be used in that article. Uh, for example, if you're looking for a general science article on lightning that we're going to talk about later, you might say, lightning strikes the earth and estimated and then search that to get how many times a day lightning strikes the earth on uh, estimate or something like that. So I just tried that too because that's just like you said, that's not like super intuitive. But right. So I just looked up in quotes paleomagnetic fluid flow, which itself doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. But if you're talking about like secondary magnetizations or something related to fluid flow and paleomagnetism, that seems like a phrase you might get, and I did. I just got three papers, one of which I hadn't read before, so that's exciting. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Excellent. And while you're on that paper, this is going to one of the other tips, is really mining references and link lists on websites or in papers. Mm, okay. Okay. This can be a rabbit hole. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially because every paper that you read has generally a pretty extensive reference list. And if you look all of those up, they have extensive reference lists. And it quickly <laughs> becomes kind of a factorial problem. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, I don't know about your library. OU Libraries has Science Direct. And so on Science Direct, that's always a rabbit hole whenever I click on that because they'll say, hey, have you seen these papers that are kind of related? And then 50 hours later, I'm still in front of the computer reading these papers that are 12 papers removed from what I really wanted in the first place. But So yes. that, that tip should come with a cautionary warning. <laughs> it does. Also, you said related. This didn't make the cut. It's in the... And the document that I'm going to link that's Google's official search terms. <laughs> but related is a recognized Google keyword. So you can type related colon and then a web address, and it will show you other websites oh. that are similar to that one. Mm. So you can go down that rabbit, rabbit hole. hole it's, it's like the Wikipedia yes. link rabbit hole as yes, well. Yes, exactly. Oh, man. All right. And the last one, this one I've had a, also a surprising amount of luck with, is using forums. Oh, I don't know if I like this one. Go ahead. Really? Okay. <laughs> I, oh. are, I, are you a forum user? Not really, because, well, anyway, make me a forum user. <laughs> like, I just feel like <laughs> I use it for actually computer-related issues is the main time that I ever listen to anything in a forum. That's definitely when it's most useful, but if you can imagine, I'm not going to say any topic because paleomagnetism or <laughs> the very specific things of earthquake friction, what I do, there's not a forum for those. Yeah. Those are far too specific. All 12 of us are never online at once, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. But if you go to a more general forum, for example, I am working with some temperature sensors in the laboratory right now, and I had a question about them and i went to an electronics forum that i'm a member of and said hey you know i here's what i need to do i need to measure with these sensors this parameter and here's the way i'm thinking about do it doing it has anybody tried this does anybody have any input and within just a day or two i had about 14 replies of people saying you know i tried that and it worked really well and then i did this and it worked better or oh you know if you add a capacitor here you're actually going to get a little bit better rejection of any common mode noise and wow. it really vastly improved the design of my instrument huh. okay well maybe i won't be so quick to 
to judge. Whenever I think of forums, initially I think of answers.com or Yahoo Answers, and that just makes me cringe for humanity. <laughs> yeah, you do have to be careful. There are a lot of, <clears throat> even on the electronics forums, for example, there's a lot of free energy posts and things that you just have to stay away from because they get pretty toxic and yeah. into flame wars relatively quickly. <laughs> Unless that's what you want to do is be entertained by that. And then by all means. <laughs> yes. But I mean, everything, you know, we talked about LaTeX in one of our early shows. Mm-hmm. If you're getting into LaTeX and, for example, you're writing a thesis and you want to know how to have references at the end of every chapter. Mm-hmm. Well, you'll find out if you go to the LaTeX forums that there's a package called Chapter Bib. Ah. And, you know, there's all these wonderful resources out there. It's really helpful. Stack Overflow is probably one of the more famous ones. Okay. Huh. Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll give that a shot then. I'll quit being so prejudiced. <laughs> it's definitely worth taking a look at, but I'd love to hear if anybody has any that they regularly go to. I know LinkedIn has some kind of forum type thing, but it always is very inactive for me anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've given up on that website, but... <laughs> yeah, that's another topic for another exactly. day, though. <laughs> Well, did I miss anything that you found helpful when you're doing your Googling and researching? Uh, no, obviously, I wouldn't know anything about Google that you probably don't already. Um, <laughs> uh, the Google Scholar thing with the uh, using the proxy when you're away from your university is one that I think everyone should immediately go figure out because that is such a time saver. Yes, and like I said, you have to get the right person at your library. If you tell them that you want the URL extension for their proxy service, a lot of them are going to stare at you like you're <laughs> not speaking English. <laughs> um, I do know a lot of um, larger universities will have, uh, you know, even probably smaller universities too, are going to have very specific librarians for this exact purpose. So your first question should probably be, can I speak to, you know, your online librarian or something like that (laughs) yes absolutely (laughs) so that would be that would probably save a lot of headache is what i'm imagining based on my interactions (laughs) well once you get your library proxy set up you should use it to look up this week's fun paper friday everybody's (laughs) favorite segment of the show oh that was a nice segue well done (laughs) (laughs) um this is very timely too since you know we just got delayed recording because of thunderstorms so yes this is about the acoustic signature of thunder this actually comes from an abstract to the uh, joint assembly for agu called acoustic imaging of thunder from rocket triggered lightning and that has all words that i like (laughs) And it's very, very appropriate, I feel like, too, for, um, you know, the 4th of July just having passed. Um, Not that any of my fireworks triggered any lightning, but just saying, just saying. (laughs) So this, this talks about a series of experiments that took place down in Florida where they fire rockets trailing wires up into the sky during thunderstorms to make triggered lightning that they can study. There will be a video in the show notes. It's only about eight seconds long, but you get to see a lightning bolt striking the same spot multiple times coming down a wire from a rocket. It's pretty incredible. Uh, Yeah, and I feel like in Florida in the summertime, anything can trigger lightning there. So this seems like shooting fish in a barrel, really. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's true. And what what these uh, researchers did, it's only a couple people, uh, Daye and Evans, and they set out an array of microphones that was 15 meters long, just one-dimensional, and it was about 95 meters from where the lightning channel occurred, which is a surprisingly small distance, mm-hmm. considering that you're talking about a massive amount of energy uh, coming down yeah. in, the, in the lightning bolt, and you're putting electronics next to it. And it looks super but, scary in the video. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but they put these microphones out at facing towards where the lightning was going to strike, and were actually able, with some creative positioning and then signal processing, to get a profile of how the sound energy was emitted with angle from the ground, so basically altitude, of the lightning bolt. Um, yeah, so basically we're, you can see the thunder now is what they're accomplishing here. And it's really some neat pictures that they've imaged um, of this induced, induced thunder. Right, and so they're getting sound pressure levels with different height up to about 80 meters, so decent above ground level height, uh, close to 140 dB, so pretty oh, intense. wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's big. Hmm. And the entire x-axis of this graph is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep. like a tenth of a yes, second. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's kind of deceptive since the time is, you know, past the time of um, them actually rocketing it off. But you could see that, yeah, very short amounts of time. Um, So I guess the question is sort of like, why do we need to see thunder? You know, that's a really good question. (laughs) And I was asking that when I was reading this paper, though this is really cool and lightning research, you know, we can't prevent lightning, that's for sure. The best we can do is hope to learn how to attract it to what we want it to be striking instead of trees and us. <laughs> yes. Uh, what we want, not who we want. That's what you said, correct? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. All what right. we want. <laughs> Great. <laughs> but I, I am a little confused as to why, you know, they say in here that, well, any new tool that we get to look at lightning is an important one, but that's where it stops. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, but the coolest part of this just like John just said, you know, yeah, you should definitely sort of investigate this, but I don't know exactly why we need to see thunder, but the best part is that one of the researchers says that he tried to pass off the first thunder image to his wife as a piece of art that they should hang over their fireplace. So. <laughs> I think the key word in there is try. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you're probably right about that. <laughs> and one thing that they did say they wanted to do, these... Uh, man-made or man-triggered bolts are generally just straight lines down from the cloud to the ground along the path that was opened up by the rocket. But they would like to see what happens with more natural zigzagging bolts, whether they could actually map those. I thought it was kind of neat that even though, you know, it's these induced, they, the frequency of the lightning sort of varies. Um, Like there were the number of return strokes, um, I thought that was kind of neat, too, because, you know, you have some lightning that's just a single bolt, and then you have lots of return strokes traveling up and down the same uh, the same pathway. So they saw that variation as well, even though that was obviously not what they were trying to study. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, and, you know, that's we should probably do a show on lightning at some point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, there was some really stunning ultra-high-speed photography by the late Tim Samaras 
that showed some incredible images of the leaders and return strokes and how they interacted. Oh. It was absolutely jaw-dropping. Uh-huh. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And as we get um, into storm season again, I imagine we will certainly be talking about that. Yes. So if you have a fun paper that you would like to hear us talk about, you can send that to us along with your Google search tips or the bacon number of your favorite actor or actress. <laughs> Shannon, how can they do that? Uh, I'd love to see those results. That's what I've been doing this whole time we're recording this show. So you can send us your bacon number at show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. You can find us on the web, www.don'tpanicgeocast.com. And as always, we try to be pretty active on Twitter. We are at don'tpanicgeo. John is at geo underscore Lehman, and I am at Shannon Doolin. Right. Keep an eye on Twitter for posts from all of our adventures <laughs> on the road. And until next time, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views.